Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Winds blowing across the Irish Moor. Over to, where are you? Wales, there you go. I am Roy Colick, your host, and my poor friend, my buddy, my mate, Stephen Parson, is being driven by the rain and wind and whales. I, it's the opposite. We're, 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 we're baking we're in all the We're all praying. We're all praying he'll survive. Yeah, the temperatures are in the high 70s, which in the UK means thunderstorm season is upon us. So? So, because I live in a third world country every time we have a lightning <laughs> a lightning storm we lose all our power and broadband and everything else really yeah oh then they have to get more slaves to go uh it's because it's because this the energy well, no it's because what actually you might sympathize or empathize because in the uk the vast majority the vast majority of our uh, power lines run yes. underground. Wow. However, in rural areas, they run them above ground, like uh-huh. they do in America. And that leaves them susceptible to lightning strike and storm damage. And living in a rural area, our power lines and telephone cables, instead of being buried underneath the ground where they're safe and tucked up nice and cozy warm, are above ground on poles. Of course, unless they break and then you've got a big mess because then you're going to find out what the frick is going on and dig big holes and trying to take care of them and all that other crap. Well, we just get some Europeans in from Poland to do that because they like coming over and digging things. And it wasn't really slaves. It was the serfs that ran the uh, power mills. Power mills. What have you been reading? Have you been reading an American's Guide to Being British Again? Because actually the British banned slavery before the U.S., correct? Yes, we did. Do you know, actually, I I was having a discussion with somebody about slavery the other day and about the many mistakes on the slave trade. Because uh, Britain uh, and the U.S. uh, get a really bad deal on the slave trade. Um... In, in in our modern twenty first in our modern twenty first century view on this practice, now this practice wasn't something that the British or the Americans invented. It goes right the way back to the, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, oh, yeah. and for for many many centuries. Um, in fact, during the time of Queen Elizabeth, the men of the west, uh, the, the southwest of England and Ireland petitioned Queen Elizabeth I to establish the Royal Navy's protection because so many Barbary pirates from Africa were coming um, and raiding our coast and taking our men, women and children away and enslaving them in Africa. Really? Uh, One of the other great myths of slavery, which is is almost never addressed, I went to a slavery museum in Liverpool, and one of the things that I saw completely expunged from the record, not put on any formal public display, is 
that the British slave traders were exactly that. They were slave traders. They were the the middlemen operating between... uh, They would uh, take goods to uh, Africa. Mm -hmm. They would exchange the goods for the slaves, which they would then take to uh, the um, Americas and to the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And then they would collect produce from the Caribbean to bring back, so tea, rubber, sugar, back to the UK. Now, they didn't go inland and beat people on the head and round them all up as slaves. They bought them from tribal chiefs and elders. Mm-hmm. But that part isn't... The part of... Uh, the fact that they were doing it to their own people and then flogging them for beads, guns, and liquor, liquor is omitted from the history record. I yeah. find that very, very peculiar. It's just because we should have known better. Slightly disingenuous. Well, it, it could, but the problem is, when you deal with... And history is important to the paranormal. So history is something that I, I you know, like a lot of paranormalists, I'm interested mm. in. And I think you have to be accurate. But one of the mistakes that you make when, when we look at history, mm-hmm. and in fact, I can relate that to directly to um, an investigation, uh, is that we view it with 21st century eyes and 21st century values, mm-hmm. rather than the values that were, ex- that were extant in that day. Uh, a week or so ago, I was on uh, an investigation with a, with a paranormal team. And then re- quite recently, they, they went out to a location. And the location was... Uh, a building that served as a school, um, but was originally constructed in the late Victorian era. And they they got an anomaly on the photograph. Now, I've seen the photograph, and I honestly said to them, it was a blob. Um, I could make no shape, form, or uh, anything from it. Uh, They got the photograph at distance and labelled it as a Victorian lady. Now... The reason why uh, that's, you know, you might think, well, what's that got to do with, with sort of 21st century thinking? It was this automatic assumption that because there was an anomaly, it had to be, uh, and because it was slightly bell-shaped, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, that it had to be a Victorian lady. Because we have this notion when we see pictures of Victorians that they have a certain standard of attire and dress and however if you look at the record the historical record of clothing and this is something Anne Winsper did a few years ago uh, about a decade ago actually um, when we were comparing reports from investigations in that they actually the standard the the style and garb of clothing when viewed from a 20th 21st century perspective really doesn't change at all for about 500 years until we reach the sort of post-World War II era where there are clearly defined um, differences in, in costume. Well, no, it changed. In the, no, it did change. Yeah, it, it, first, it did. After the First World War. It became, it, it became more dramatic uh, after World War II. With, after World have, War One, during the well, Roaring Twenties, yeah. all, all the flap addresses and everything yeah. all changed totally. Yes, but the majority of the population was still where. If you look at oh, I get to what you're saying. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I if you look at if you look at a picture of my great grandmother, um, yeah. who lived up until the 1970s, I look at woman too. Uh, if you look at her photographs of her, you would say she is dressed like a Victorian widow. She doesn't. She dresses very similar to Queen Victoria in large, sort of flowing, black 
with those weeds. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, the assumption then is, oh, you're looking at a Victorian lady. Well, actually, that was taken 70 years after the Victorian era ended. So, I mean, there were... Misconceptions, right? Misconceptions, because we're viewing history with uh, through the lens of our modern era, where we assume that each, each era will have a very, very distinct costume type. There was no difference between the late Georgian, the Victorian, and the Edwardian era uh, that, that we can you know, readily discern uh, if you put two or three of them side by side. Mm-hmm. And that's also led to some very interesting claims from uh, paranormalists of conspiracy theories. I'm sure you've seen these, the, the famous photograph of the time traveller, the guy who's wearing wraparound shades and a T-shirt uh, that was taken in the 1930s. You've seen the picture. Well, historians have looked at that picture and said, actually, his style is bang on. People did wear logo T-shirts. They were rare, but they existed. And wraparound sunglasses. Here's some catalogue pages. Sears and Roebuck, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bosch and Lamb. They were making wraparound sunglasses in the 20s and 30s. So it is not... But conspiracy theories, and people fall in line with that idea, because we view um, that... Because we want to. Because we want to, and because we're looking at it through our 20 years. Yeah, but we also want to believe in that. Yeah, I mean, it's like we want to believe the stories of the slave trade. We want to believe the stories right. um, of the, the both the wars and what actually happened. History is so full of mistakes. Um, and and the, portrayal, the portrayal of history. People are not reading history. It's just right yet. to a ghost hunt. When you go on a ghost hunt, when we go on a ghost hunt... Uh, and something happens, uh, it has to be a ghost because we want it to be a ghost and we, we perceive it as a ghost. And when it could be just a normal explanation for something that occurs uh, normally. Yeah. Um, I, again, I, I encounter that a lot. And you've encountered that a lot on social media. There is, um, you know, somebody will put a, a short video clip or a photograph with what they you know, they, I've captured this this anomaly. Mm-hmm. There is then almost an unquestioning acceptance that the that the photograph is real, and that extends also. To, I mean, today this isn't paranormal, but it, it it's exactly relevant. Uh, today, a a short video clip uh, started to do the rounds on social media, and it shows a lady in a white short dress slipping uh, or standing on the, what appears to be the rim of a volcano and uh, supposedly in Hawaii, slipping and uh, f- or falling, slipping, and then ending up in a flash in a puff of smoke, falling into the lava pool. And people are, the comments, you know, you can see, there, there are a few that are going, oh, it's fake, oh, it's fake. But nine out of ten of the comments are, oh, my poor, oh, my dear God, how can you show this on social media? That's terrible. Uh, your thoughts with her family. Eventually, somebody did about 50 comments down the list. Somebody put a link to another piece of video footage, which uh, is the same footage, but it's shot on a beach. Um, <laughs> and what they, all they'd really done in the video is colour the sea, substitute the sea for lava uh, by overlaying the videographic of, um, and then inserting you know, smoke and a flash. 
but people were blindly accepting it without questioning. You know, they were offering their sympathy and condolences to the family, and the, and also at the same time berating the poster for putting such horrific stuff on. You know, children can see this. They never thought. You know, the vast majority, nine out of ten people, did not go. Uh, nah, is that real? Is that genuine? I will share it and I will comment on it without doing any basic background research on it. I will blindly accept. And they do that on paranormal cases. Right. They Somebody comes on, they thrust a, a pair of headphones on their head and said, listen to this EVP, it says I'm going to kill you. Get out of here. Go, oh my God, yeah, that must be a demon. He's a bad He's a bad nibby. That must be a demon. There is no, hang on a minute, it could have just been a taxi going past, or I can't hear it. Look, not very many people will actually turn around and go, I can't hear anything. Particularly when they're in a group. Um, if you get a group of people, it's very, very unusual to find one, or, uh, one person that will put the hand up, sit the head over the parapet and go, I can't hear anything. Most yeah. of them, it's this sort of herd mentality that takes over. Reminds, um, me, reminds me of... Aaron O'Keefe used to tell them when he was working on Most Haunted where they were all standing around and they they uh, something got thrown or something and the vet says, Oh, did you did you see that? Did you hear that? And the first one says, Yeah, I heard it. The second one says, I fourth one said I heard it. The sound man says, No, I didn't I didn't hear it, but it came from over there. <laughs> Actually, Most Haunted used to do a very, very good, um, when they did the lives, they, they, there was a very good example of this sort of group conformity really? taking place. And on the live, at the start of the three-hour live broadcast, uh, they would play um, four EVP clips. One at A, B, C, D, and E, mm-hmm. or A, B, C, D, sorry. And um, they would invite people to phone or text or message right. the show uh, with what you think the EVP says. <laughs> and then at various times uh, during the show, they would run um, a tape along the bottom of the screen with um, somebody said EVP one is, um, you know, I'm going to kill you. They can hear a man's voice or a lady's yeah. voice. And for the first hour, uh, when they did this, the actual um, comments were, were fairly broadly scattered, uh, suggesting that people were hearing what they, you know, what there was. There was men and women and uh, growls and threats and yeah. blessings. But after the first hour, once people had read the comments along the bottom and revisited the EVPs, knowing the comments. There was started to become a coalescing of ideas, and by the end of the show, three hours later, you had 78% of people are hearing EVP one is a man's voice gruffly saying, "I'm going to kill you." EVP two is a female voice saying, you know, squealing and saying, "Oh my God!" Uh, and because they'd seen what they were supposed to listen to, or what they were supposed to hear. Right. And that was an excellent example of this sort of, um, right. well, well, two things, herd mentality and um, pre, pre-loading, pre-priming the pump, mm-hmm. which, is, which is a problem not just with EVPs, but also with paranormal uh, video and photographs. If you see them on social media, for example, right. you, will, you will very rarely see, uh, took this video, 
what do you see? What you will, what you do read, though, is took this video last night, saw lots of orbs, and and my friend said there's a demon. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of priming of the pump that's going on. And, and, and Steve, you know, I, I have to admit, and you uh, talked about this earlier, too, as far as orbs and stuff, that it really does seem like they're making a comeback. With all the, the research, and, and I remember any any paranormal researcher would say, oh, that's just uh, water vapor, or it's just a bug, or it's just that. And, and now uh, they're saying, oh, I know it's it's different things, but this this is paranormal. And, and they're, they're, they've made an about face on it. Uh, they put the little caveat in there, but it's really, they're saying, this is a spirit, this is a... You know something that isn't. This is this is it's kind of that same way. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't get a better example of history repeating itself because those that don't read the history, um, there is there is there's been a there's a clear number of waves of interest that's gone through the paranormal. Um, if we look at the very early two thousands with the first two or three television programs. So that was here in the UK, Most Haunted, and in the US you had Ghost Hunters uh, mm-hmm. with tax. They spawned a generation of investigating groups and teams who have now matured. Now, two or three years after these programs started to air, they, there was a huge orb debate amongst that wave of investigating groups. And they reached the conclusion eventually that, well, they settled on um, a sort of stalemate where the vast majority were dust, but a few were paranormal. That was the stalemate that they reached. Now, then, some of them, uh, some of those groups matured and continue to this day with, um, you know, still investigating. So, uh, quite a lot have fell by the wayside. Um, and then comes along the second wave of television programs. Exactly. With Zach and and Amy and Ryan, like Wave Two, and that spawned another, you know, captured a new audience who then also formed groups and went out. And now we're in the situation where they're discovering the orb. And yeah, as a paranormal entity. As a paranormal entity, and they're starting to debate it and discuss it and oh, really? argue over it all over again. Ignoring all of the work that's been done beforehand on it on the subject. But isn't that like a child and a parent, where you know that the child, oh, my parent thinks he knows better, but uh, you know, he doesn't really. He's he's just old. He doesn't understand like I do. <laughs> I I no, I genuinely because I've spoken to these people and uh, to a lot of this new. Uh, wave and they're just as passionate and just as interested as all those that went before them one what they do lack and this is something i've been uh, um, quite vocal about sure (laughs) this is something i've been quite vocal about with the spr is that they lack any of the resources and the easy access to those resources um the historical resources the research that's been done before them so their primary resource is the television show that they originally were inspired by and then social media youtube and youtube mainly and and, and facebook live and others but yeah. then they're, they're not looking back because the archive isn't 
that accessible, and that's what I've been dealing with the SPR or ch ch uh, chastising the SPR about the archive not being accessible. Um, and that goes to other groups as well, you know, organisations, uh, both sides of the Atlantic. Um, but also, a change within our culture. We now no longer visit libraries quite so much to get out books. If we want to know the answer to a, a, a question... We ask Alexa. Well, we don't research it. We Google it. Yeah, yeah we go to Alexa. Alexa, yeah. what is... Uh, we, I yeah. was over my sister once, and yeah, what's that? We were talking about chai tea, and uh, she said, Alexa, what is chai tea? Yeah. And there yeah. it goes. So yeah. that's how they get their stuff. Growing up as a kid... Um, most families had a volume set of encyclopedias. Oh, encyclopedias, yes. On the bookshelf. And it was, yes. something, it was something that the family were very proud of because it was probably expensive. Bought oh, very expensive, yeah. It was bought yeah. in installments, and it was, it was the family's reference work. And it was written by respected uh, people in each of the subject areas. Mm -hmm. And if you wanted to find a, uh, do some research for your homework, you would, you know, with your parents' permission, you would get one of the encyclopedias down and you would read the, the, the paragraphs that were in there on the Absolutely. subject, then perhaps visit the local library. And you were presented with uh, uh, information and a case and perhaps some links to follow to other, you know, you might want to read about other, you know, at the bottom. Um, and you would go off to a library and you would get more stuff and you would do your homework or whatever. Now, if you want information about what is, it, what is a demon, uh, you, you visit, you know, type it into a search engine or ask Alexa. You get 10,000 versions of the answer, mm -hmm. but you probably only ever read the first paragraph of the first two or three uh, web pages that come up on the Google opening screen. A demon is an entity that's considered to be uh, malicious and blah blah blah. And you accept that blindly without, because, but that reference could come from a paranormal group, an exorcist, the Catholic Church, or a madman. It, there is no um, peer review, there is no uh, sort of. I don't know the word. There is no the words eluded me there, uh, but there is no regulation about what goes on the internet. Right. And so, they and they're also given. And you know, my deep about Wikipedia alone. Yeah. Well, yeah. They're, they're all given equal weighting. You know, the 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 mad ravings of a lunatic claiming that, uh, you know, this phenomena represents Beelzebub coming back to. Uh, claim your soul is given exactly the same weighting as, uh, you know, a tome from a Catholic bishop, or the the sceptical viewpoint of a psychologist or a psychiatrist. There is no sort of weighting that which was the word I was looking for before uh, being given that suggests that that might be more relevant and more uh, better researched than. You know, the, the page below it suggests it. And that's Cal again, isn't it? Yeah, you know, the show's on, Cal's here. So I think research, if you're going to do research, then you should cite your, uh, cite your sources. Mm -hmm. you know, and and it's, funny, it's funny you mentioned Encyclopedia Britannica, because I'm, I'm holding right in my little hand Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah. And uh, 
Encyclopedia Britannica, a new survey of universal knowledge. And this is uh, it's, uh, it's got right on that tag. It says, for reference, not to be taken from this room. And this was published in 1943. Yeah, I mean, every year a new edition would come out. So oh, yes. Constantly being up, updated and revised. The other, I mean, I remember when I first, uh, when PCs, home PCs, became available and became so the first windows machines not the earlier generation microsoft did a huge roaring trade when they uh, did their they they put encyclopedia oh yeah do you remember that that's right yeah and i got i it, i got a disc of it somewhere it around came it came in a, a very lavish box with about yes. ten discs and yes it, and that was again that was i mean it replaced the the 12 volumes plus index on the shelf mm-hmm uh, and it had some ex- some of the first external web links that took you to the university research pages or the, the Zoological Society yeah. or the United States Geological Survey. And that was that was one of the educational resources that they had in schools. Mm-hmm. That you would, that it was one of the first things that you bought when you bought a PC, or you, it would sometimes late a few years later it was included by. Yeah, PC it was included Bentley. with it. Yeah, the one I got was included yeah. with it. Uh, Dell used to include it with um, and uh, with along with sort of a basic word editor and such. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we've moved on now to it. You, you watch a movie. I thought we were watching a movie the other night. We were like, oh, that, face, that actor's face is familiar. 20 seconds later, we had the name of the actor and the other movies that we'd seen them. I know, it's an amazing, yeah. Because you just, you can do that, but the problem with it is, it is just so uh, easy that mm-hmm. you, that it, I, I you know, and, this generation. I mean, to be honest with you, there's so many people writing books, and uh, especially in the paranormal, and, yeah. and just about anybody can have a published book. But you don't find the references in it. You know, where did you get this material? And uh, it's it's ripped off the internet, which uh, may be a, a reputable site or may not be. It's stolen from other people. That yeah. people just don't uh, do the work. It's very simple. They I, just. The, well, the other weird thing is, is the book itself, without citing the reference, then becomes a reference. Um, it's true. It's been, very true. Because it's been published, people give it more credence and right. it carries more weight. And there is also, as you've said, um, this idea that we give the person who's written the book, and you've done this, you've, I've done this, when we're promoting an event, the first thing we say after the person's name is author of... Mm-hmm. however many books like it's a badge um and you know oh they're better because they they have a, an extra rung up the ladder because they're an author of a book but you can publish as many books as you like you can you know uh, because now we can self-publish on amazon and I, uh, apple books and all manner of other book things you can have them printed to order uh, and i've i've got some and some of them frankly um you know if they'd ever been sent to a publisher they did never see. I had a book from a publisher that actually had forward spelt wrong in it. <laughs> tings! <laughs> and speaking of things, it's the tune time, which means we have to take a break. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Steve Parson and Ron Kolick right here on Tojina and Pararex Radio. Hopefully, Pararex is up. And when I come back, I've got to straighten out something about the English monarchy. So we'll be right back. 
Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Back to part two of this Chronicles International. Why does that always ring when I'm on this show? <laughs> I don't know. Did uh, I get that call? Me. No. No. I just read a letter. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a silence on. Anyway, part two of Ghost Chronicles International. And yeah. I believe you're going to... Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Berate the British... Put, put right the... the... I get up early and watch the wedding and, you know... and uh, You did? I, yeah, zero five twenty Eastern time. I saw yeah. you. Uh, yeah, very yeah. surprised. I was actually up before the uh, watching it, but uh, was any good? Yeah, yeah, it was really good. Actually, I enjoyed it, and um, you know, a lot of people, especially women, that, that actually cried during it. So, both the royals, of course, than the Americans, right? Um. Go on. What, what's, is, isn't that the presumption by friends we know? <laughs> what's that? What's the presumption? So, you cut yeah, out a nobody fraction. knows more about the royals than the, the, than the Americans. Oh, but do you anyway, know what? When they, were, when they were showing the footage um, at Windsor um, of the <laughs> before the the BBC were were interviewing a great number of the crowd. Yes. And eight out of ten of the people they interviewed were what they were calling American royal uh, royalist vloggers. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine, James, who lives nearby, was actually on the long drive in oh, wow. at, at Windsor. And he said, it was hard to find anybody who was English there. <laughs> I told you, no one knows more about the rules than us. <laughs> or Americans. 
But anyway, I have a couple of things that I mentioned. The first thing uh, I, I want to I want to straighten out this this uh, royalty. Uh, what's it called? Uh, the the royals royals in line to the throne. Let's let's straighten yeah. that out because nobody yeah. knows about it. It's all messed up. And of course, we know the number one yeah would be Prince Charles and. Uh, uh, the uh, Prince of Wales, and, if, and you know, by the way, if his mother ever kicks the bucket, um, and he becomes, he'll be the oldest person to be crowned in the United Kingdom's history. Right? Isn't that something? I tell you what is, I tell you what is strange. Have you seen the the list of who has to bow and curtsy to who? No, I do not know that one. That's, that's really, that's really, me- that'll really mess with your head. Oh, or, you, it, you have to, you have to put me the link. I'll have to see that one. So, anyways, who who who's got to bow and who has to curse? I would love to see that. If, if you have, if you know that list, I'll, I'll ask Catherine. I'll ask Catherine because she showed it me the other day. I would love to see that. It was weird because if if um, if Megan and Kate are together, mm-hmm. Megan doesn't have to curtsy to Kate. Mm-hmm. But if the four of them are together, so William. And oh, I got it. You're right. If, Whenever William is present, whenever William is present, Meghan has to curtsy and show deference to Catherine. That's awesome. So, um, after I, Prince Charles, of course, will be. Oh, oh, oh. Go ahead. You want to interrupt? Go ahead. No, 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 no. I was. You were doing the the, the succession list. Yeah. Let me finish this off, and then we can do it. After uh, Prince Charles, of course, would be Prince William of Wales, the Duke of Cambridge. Yes. And then Prince George of Cambridge was just a little guy. Right. Then Prince Charlotte of Cambridge. That would Correct, because a rule, the Queen made a ruling uh, a few years ago that it's now, uh, it's not it's first. Such an act, 2013. Yeah, it's firstborn, regardless of sex. Yep. Of the Crown Act of 2013, it's called. Yeah. Anyway. And then after Charlotte will be the Duke of Duchess Cambridge's third child, which yep. is unnamed, I guess. Is uh, she unnamed? I thought Louis. they named it. Louis. Louis, yeah. So it, other ones, when this came up, they must not have had the name yet, but they have included it. So number six would be Prince Harry. Correct. Number seven, Prince Andrew, Duke of York. Uh, actually, isn't, isn't Harry now seventh? Oh, Why? Uh, I, I'm sure I read the other day that he's seventh. Well, according to this, it's it's six, but I could be okay. wrong. Okay. So the uh, Prince Andrew, Duke of York, is who? The Queen's second oldest son. Is that Randy Harry? Uh, Randy yeah, Andy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Wow, he looks older now. Oh, no, no. He's seventh now. You're absolutely right, yeah. So Andrew's yeah. seventh. Yeah. And because he's seventh, he's now free to marry without the Queen's permission. That's so he, he can actually remarry Fergie if he wants to now. Oh, why? She, she was at the wedding, though. That was nice to see. Yeah, but you see, they've been living together for a long time, but the but he would require the monarch's approval for uh, to... Oh, they're uh, still living together? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, but he doesn't have to. Now he's... It's only the top six that require permission. So oh, now great. he's seven. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't require permission off the Queen now, so he can, he can remarry Fergie. Oh, Which is excellent. what we think. It's, what we everybody thinks. All the commentators think is going to happen next. Oh, really? Because I mean, she got a big welcome at the uh, the, the wedding. Uh, a lot of people didn't think she was going to be there, but she uh, she I, I saw her 
their invitation and, and when she arrived a lot of people gave her big hugs and everything else it was uh, it was quite touching anyways princess beatrice of york number nine princess eugenie of york eugenie. yeah beatrice and eugenie those are our fergie's well, you know, actually, that this succession order is slightly um, contrived because Princess right. Anne, who is actually uh, older than Andrew, yes. so ordinarily her children would be further up the line of succession, asked and requested that the Queen de-delist them. And so they they are um, not considered in line to the throne and not considered to be um, on the first tier now of the royal family. Oh. At, Anne's, at Anne's request. Anne's request, yeah. Um, she requested that that be the case. The Princess Royal, Princess Anne, mm-hmm. um, delisted her children from the succession order, so they're not counted at all, even though they would be higher than Andrew, Eugenie and Beatrice. Right, but they're not, so that's why they're not they're there. Not. So that's why they're okay. not included. If anybody wonders what happened to Princess Anne's kids. Uh-huh. And then, of course, then you've got Edward and Sophie. Uh, I was just getting to him. Number th- Earl of Wessex. Yep, Edward. And uh, number 11. Oh, I like this. James Viscount Servan. What does that mean? Viscount. Viscount. S-C-V-E-R-N. What does that mean, Steve? S. Sorry, S-V-V is a Victor, E-R-N. Oh, the Viscount. Oh, hang on. Let me write that down. Okay. Viscount James is technically a a prince, but his parents wanted to give him a a less obvious title to avoid some of the burdens of royal titles. Right. Well, who's his parents? Uh, It's got to be, what's his name? The one we... Uh, Sophie. Uh, uh, Edward, yeah. Right, uh, who up to ten was? Ah, yeah, I, I, sorry, yeah. Prince Edward, yes, Prince Edward. Uh, one of his, ch- or is it one of his children actually has a um, severe disability? Yeah. And I think that's why they, they have done that. Um, and they have uh, Lady Louise Windsor, who's James' 14-year-old sister, uh-huh yes um, and i think she, she i think i think there's a number of children uh of edwards uh, it might actually be louise but uh, has quite a severe disability oh uh, now on this Oxford, list obviously. on this list they have princess anne as number 13. well she herself would be eligible um because she's the princess royal and peter but phillips it, is 14. Yeah, uh, but her children shouldn't be because she. Well, that's her, that's the children from her first marriage with Commander Mark Phillips. Right. The children from her second marriage. Yeah, uh, Savannah the, Phillips and Isla Phillips. They're, they're the ones who actually are, have been popped off the line of succession. What the hell is Zara Tyndall? Uh, that's Zara. That's that's her daughter from the first marriage. Oh, okay. Oh, she's daughter. married. That's why the name. Uh, yeah, because she's uh, she's an Olympic horsewoman. Um, oh, that's true. So yeah, uh, she used to be uh, used to be Lady Zara Phillips. Um, uh, of course, she's now she's now married. Mia, Mia Tyndall is number eighteen. Well, you you never need more than an heir in a spare. 
Yeah, I know it. Zara, Mike Tyndall's second child. Dave, Joan, James Armstrong Jones, Earl of Snowden. Who the yeah, heck is yeah. that? That's Tony. Uh, the Earl of Snowden is the, co- the Queen's cousin, uh, the Earl of Snowden. Wow, but then you know the, you can. This is really run, confusing. You can run the line of succession, uh, the line of succession backwards. You know, yeah, I think I got to stop, stop right there. In in actual fact, we only. I think I think for um, uh, realistic purposes, I think only the top six are counted. Wow. Um, you know, yeah. so you you uh, not none beyond the top six ever really get a look in. Uh, no, never really considered. Um, but the top six have a a slightly higher status uh, because obviously there are some backups and spares. Right, and, right. and in fact, our own queen is the product of a backup, uh, a spare, because her father George the Sixth was the right, cause when, spare was the spare for Edward um, Edward the Eighth, yes. who abdicated because of an American divorcee mm-hmm. when it was more when it was less socially acceptable. Um, the other thing as well is Megan is is Catholic, and, and oh, we had we had to change the constitution again, uh, was changed um, in recent years to allow for Catholics to um, become become uh, yeah yeah. Right? yeah because up until uh, well in fact up to the time when her, oh yeah because the, the queen or the king was the the head of the Church of England. Church. The church, ah. the Church of England. Now, yes. one of uh, this is actually brings us almost full circle to a mistake in history. Everybody assumes that Henry VIII dissolved the Catholic Church and set up the Church of England. Uh, in, in reality, he didn't. Uh, what what Henry VIII did was break from Rome and became the head of the Church in England. Uh, but it was still ostensibly a Catholic Church. And had all of the Catholic uh, trappings and things that you would recognise. Um, so, but and he never called himself the head of the Church of England. He was the head of the Church in England. His son Edward the Sixth was actually the one who drove through the act of separate the, the acts of separation, and you know and, be, and made um, the state religion. Right. One of Protestantism, Angli- the Anglian religion, and proclaimed himself the head of the Church of England, and then his sister Mary, who was still a Catholic, and then you had this war that broke out where they were persecuting and burning traitors and at the stake for treason because they were either Catholic who, or Pro- which, Protestant. Who had the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury murdered? Uh, not murdered, burnt at the stake. That was Mary, and she got the title for Bloody Mary. Although Elizabeth burnt a few as well, it's got to be said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, heresy and treason were uh, major, um, but heresy would get you burned at the stake, and you know a number of bishops and uh, priests went. There through. was there was one, I believe it was uh, one of Henry's that uh, a good friend of his, except he wouldn't he wouldn't. Thomas, uh, Thomas More. Thank you, thank you very much, Thomas, Thomas Sir More. Thomas More, who was the great a great friend and advisor to Henry VIII. Yes. Um, refused to acknowledge uh, Henry as the head of the church. He said that uh, the Pope was the supreme head of the church, right. and he he would, to his dying breath, recognise Henry as the head of the the country and the monarch, and question his you know sort of pledge his un, uh, unquestioning uh, allegiance to him as king, but could not sign 
uh, an assent that Henry was the head of the church in England, and that got him beheaded. They, they, well, actually, they went and they murdered them in the chapel. Uh, not Thomas More, they didn't. <laughs> what? Was Thomas More was executed. Who was murdered in the chapel? Uh, that was... Uh, which chapel? Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, now now this is interesting because... Are you talking about the royal princes now? No, not the, not the, not the princes of the tower, which okay. uh, there are ghosts are still there, evidently. But th this is the one that was his advisor. And we talked about, I believe, according to the documentary I saw, that he sent some of his henchmen to the chapel and they murdered him. Well, well, a completely different, Henry. Um, you, you're 500 years, uh, uh, 350-something years beforehand. That was Henry II. Uh, Henry II... Uh, that's what I was thinking of. ...appointed his best friend, who was a low-born commoner from the city of London, uh, the son of a, of a merchant, mm -hmm. a rough-speaking, um, loud-mouthed, drinking buddy of Henry II... Most um, of his friends. To be to be the Archbishop of Canterbury, right? Uh, much to his surprise, the Archbishop of Can uh, this this gentleman then became extremely devout. Took, took to wearing her shirts and going on pilgrimage. Thomas, yeah. his name was, of course, was Thomas uh, Thomas Becket or Thomas A Becket. Yes, that's it. Uh, and in a fit of pique, because Becket. Uh, buggered off to France so uh, Henry couldn't, because uh, they'd fallen out spectacularly over the rights of the king and the right versus the rights right. of the church and which was the higher of the two, which had the greater authority. Um, Henry, well, Becket disappeared off to France and then it, they, they made friends and he came back. But then Becket started bad-mouthing the king again. And the king, in a fit of temper, said, from his base in France... Who will rid me of, the, of this troublesome priest? Uh, it was taken a bit too literally by four knights, who then got a ship back to England, went marching off up to Canterbury, and uh, stuck a sword in him while he was kneeling at the altar. And he he stayed resolutely sort of um, in prayer when they burst into the uh, into the cathedral and refused to get up and come away from his prayers because. You know, he didn't, or I don't know whether he did believe that they were going to go through with the act, uh, but they, they ran him through with the sword and one of the monks that ran to protect him. Now, a, a few years later, uh, I mean, Henry was immediately distraught at what had happened in his name. Okay, this is the part um, I was going to say, but you can certainly say it. And he went, eventually he went on, he donned a her shirt and went on pilgrimage to, uh, to Canterbury uh, to seek... Um, uh, so, uh, what's the yeah. word? Uh, yeah, not, not re oh God! What's um, yeah? To see that one? Yeah, because <laughs> he, he was very, very sorry. <laughs> right. Yes, he to seek. Because yeah, it's terrible when you lose one word, isn't it? Oh, but he went because he was very, very sorry, and he went on pilgrimage, yeah, and he went the last. Sorry. He went the last two miles whilst wearing a her shirt and crawling on all fours. Yes, um, well, be, to be, beg be, for forgiveness uh, yes. from from uh, his uh, you know, uh, after causing the death of his friend Thomas. And, and, and Thomas Beckett became and Thomas Beckett became a place uh, and Canterbury became a place of holy pilgrimage um, for for people. And you, 
you find um, still um, you can find them on eBay occasionally. They were quite common. These small lead um, badges that the pilgrims bought when they got to Canterbury that turn up with metal detectors. They were incredible. There were hundreds of thousands of these little lead badges made in the Middle Ages uh, from people who pilgrims used to collect them as they went around all the holy shrines. They would, and this is how the shrines, of course, made money. You know, if you had and, and there were many, many raids by brother monks um, from different abbeys on each other to yeah. steal the holy relics from the one up the road. Because the more holy relics you had, the more pilgrims you had, the more pilgrims yeah. you had, the more money you had and the bigger buildings and blah, 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 blah. And so there was an awful lot of uh, trade in holy relics by the church and the creation of many, many holy relics. I mean, any number of toenails, fingernails, pieces of the true cross, nails that nailed Christ to the cross, uh, saints, martyrs, and all manner of holy relics uh, were produced at that time because it was good for business. And in yeah. fact, the Catholic Church still do that. I mean, I was, I was in Rome a good few years ago, and you know, from one end of the, the main street leads up to St. Peter's uh, Square, and the Vatican, uh, there must have been 50 or 100 stalls selling holy ephemera and relics and second-class relics and third-class relics and things to put relics in and postcards that were once touched to a cobblestone that was once um, next to the cobblestone that Pope Pius stood on and, you know... Yeah. And the Catholic Church merch machine is incredible and does give rise to some hilariously uh, tacky relic uh, sort of souvenirs. I've got a Jesus, a figure of Jesus about 12 inches high, an incredibly nicely made figure, except it's purple glitter. <laughs> and another one, this is, this is a children's bedside nightlight with um, a little plug in the wall, very low tw- uh, low wattage bulb in it, gives a really nice glowing light. And the the top of the uh, the shade around the lamp rotates quietly, and it you can have it playing Ave Maria on a really cheesy music box type thing. Uh, it's the Last Supper uh, by Da Vinci as it rotates around and projects itself onto the walls and ceiling. Um, it's incredible that I know that's amazing. <laughs> we should have that. I have some breaking news here. Okay. Breaking news. But we've got another one in the line of succession. No. The Blair Witch will now become a television series. Good joke. Nope. We found another camera. (laughs) Wow. So, (laughs) in in all fairness... how many cameras have they found now? <laughs> Some people's investigations look very much like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. But they're all based on that. I mean, the, the original Blair Witch, although, you know, it was a tremendous film. It was, a, it was one of those that, that became a genre. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. from, from that found footage uh, docudrama type things, you had the Blair Witch, you had Paranormal Activity, was another yeah. similar one. Uh, Don't forget and, the river. Do you remember the river? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, there was a it, it was a groundbreaking film and it was made for next to nothing in terms of a Hollywood movie but then unfortunately once you get one blockbuster made for ten bucks 
everybody thinks that you can repeat the the magic formula and make the same you know, um, success. And I, I I've seen Blair Witch, and it didn't scare me. There were parts <laughs> I found funny, but as a, as an entertaining uh, movie, it was it was it was fine. Except for the camera stuff was kind of. It was, and there were parts where you know inevitably you went shout, shouting at the screen, going, oh, "It's behind you!" and "Oh no, don't do it, that." It, it, it. There were those moments that they have, you know, the you've seen them in all of the American horror movies, you know. Hey guys, this isn't funny, and you just scream, "You don't open the screen door, don't don't look in the closet, don't don't." No, and that's where your boyfriend is. Yep. And the funny story is that uh, when I first started in the Ghost Project years and years and years and years ago, uh, we actually, uh, we've always been media friendly, but we had a, a television crew go with us on one of our first investigations, in fact, and it was at America Stonehenge in, uh, and uh, Salem. And we stayed on the site, mate, site overnight while they took the footage and they made it a parody of like, the play of which <laughs> they kept doing these little bits by themselves and I couldn't figure what it was until I, after it was all over and the, the, we, we saw the completed thing it was like oh that's so funny but uh, yeah I'll, t- I'll tell you what else you, you see have you, if you watch these television uh, all, all of the paranormal shows if you have the sound turned off there is one way of spotting a paranormal television show straight off the... is the fact that they go to green monochrome and then they, like a distorted television image that they obviously borrowed from Poltergeist. Uh, this sort of like... on the screen and like snow and zigzaggy lines and every shot in green monochrome. I mean, that is, that is your classic paranormal television show. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit. I know you were writing a book about... Uh, uh, cited in the in the paranormal or something, right? Or you were playing with thinking about it or something. Anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that uh, a lot of these films that they have and when they watch the film, you get distortion in it, and <laughs> and a lot of this distortion can look like clouds. In other words, you can see. <laughs> the thing that's what's happened to most paranormal groups is they, they see this distortion. Look, look, there's a spirit of the demon. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. It, it's, I, it's just normal. And often, uh, I, I've, I've been in the situation where I've seen a video editor, um, where the guys have put these programs together with very, very, very expensive equipment. And they can see a camera problem you know the camera has uh, hasn't encoded the file properly and so there is a distortion in the picture and they could take it out and use a cleaned up poppy they could ele- they could even electronically clean up the the footage and remove the anomaly but they leave the distortion in right they leave because they know that people will interpret it as um, and in fact there have been several movies where they have deliberately um, stuck in a camera trick or right. a camera anomaly mm-hmm. uh, and, and leaked it out. You know, like some movies put Easter eggs into films, little hidden... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in, in some paranormal movies, they've actually stuck in a paranormal Easter egg 
uh, and then leaked leaked it out through their publicity machine to suggest that there might have been a real ghost on the set. And in fact, uh, the most recent film that I'm aware of that did it was actually the 2016 Ghostbusters, because there were claims that some of the haunted the locations they were using um, in 2016 uh, hmm. were actually genuinely haunted. Oh, and, that's and, and that as a result of, and in fact, several of the cast came forward and gave interviews about their experiences whilst making the film. Hmm. Because it's all ads. And if you look, whatever happens on Most Haunted, before Most Haunted airs to you know, each new series comes up, you have Yvette on running doing the rounds of the newspapers saying we've just captured the most amazing you know the first time ever we've captured a full a full-blown apparition uh, blah 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 and watch the whole series starting next tuesday on and people fall it suckered into it every single time well unfortunately we're running out of time so what a shame so we've we've solved the uh the uh so many things today yes we have Anyways, we do have to go. Uh, I think we can talk for Spirit Quest in search of bullshit. <laughs> in search of the the uh, succession to the throne, uh, the missing <laughs> word, the missing word we can't think of because you're really in search of the nineteenth to the throne. <laughs> yes. Anyways, uh, Steve will be coming over here. Check out the well, website anyghostproject.com. The letter N, the letter E, Ghost Quest 2018. In search of. Till next time, good night and God bless. Good night, God bless. Stay spooky. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good Lord.